Hey, welcome back to Female Founder World. I'm your host, Jasmine, and today I'm chatting with the founder of Maison Essential. Her name is Liv Kennecke. Let's get into the episode. Liv, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We generally start every episode by just letting all of the founders on the show tell us about their businesses. So could you introduce us to Maison Essential and what it is that you're working on? Yeah, sure. So as you said, my name's Liv and I'm the founder and creative director of premium sleep and loungewear brand Maison Essential. We create sleep and loungewear pieces for women made out of really high quality silk, linen and cottons. I Okay, so I feel like everyone listening needs to understand that I first... I'm not just recording with any old brand here. I wore your brand on my wedding day and I've been such a fan of you guys since really, really early on and what you're doing. The pieces are so, so beautiful. When you say premium kind of quality, it is actually the most beautiful pieces that you create. So it's not just any old sleepwear, guys. This is something really special, what Liv is building. I want to kind of go back to right at the beginning and understand what you were doing before you decided to launch this business. What were you working on? What was your career looking like at the time? Yeah, sure. It's funny because, you know, retrospectively looking back at kind of growing up, I always feel like I was somewhat drawn to the entrepreneurial journey. You know, whether it was doing stalls or fundraisers or hobby groups with my friends, like when I was younger, I had a few kind of amateur businesses when I was a teenager. I had a vintage clothing store and a few others. And then fast forward to my late teens, I studied management, majoring in marketing at uni. And I was just super anxious to get into the industry. You know, I really learned in a hands-on way. So I got my first full-time job at 19, working in marketing at a creative agency. I always kind of had a passion for, I guess, the business of fashion and the marriage of kind of the commerce meets creativity. So I bounced around in a bunch of different roles, kind of working in a luxury communications agency in Sydney in fashion. I went in-house for Calvin Klein and Tommy Hilfiger for a few years. And I guess during this time is when I had my aha moment. So I feel like many entrepreneurs, for me, it was really just solving a pain problem for myself. You know, I was going back to my hometown and I was staying with my grandparents for the weekend and I forgot to bring my pajamas. So my grandma had this beautiful collection, or she still does, of, you know, vintage sleepwear pieces, you know, silk gowns, nightgowns, et cetera. And she lay some out for me on the bed to kind of choose when I went to sleep that night. And at first I was kind of like, this is a bit weird. Like, I don't really wear this kind of stuff to bed. Like, I was more the kind of, like, oversized tee, like, old shorts kind of gal. And I thought, oh, well, I'm just going to give it a go. And it was honestly just the most luxurious experience, you know, just that um, the silk. And the next morning I felt so glamorous in this robe, just kind of swanning around. And I came back to Sydney and I was like, I need to get myself some really nice pajamas. You know, it was such a great experience. And I feel like we can all relate to that when it comes to, you know, sheets. Everybody loves the feeling of clean sheets or fresh sheets on the bed. And I felt like this was kind of the next, you know, step to that. So I came back and I was asking my friends, you know, where do I get some really nice pajamas, you know, in silk? And everybody kind of didn't really have an answer for me. I went on, uh, you know, all the major retailers. I went into a whole bunch of department stores and everything basically either was kind of really kitsch and not kind of the style that I would want to wear and made out of really low quality materials 
or it was really beautiful silk, but it was just way out of my price range. So I guess for me, that was my moment where I thought, you know, this is something that's clearly missing from the space. And that's how Mason Essential began. It all makes sense looking back retrospectively. You kind of have the idea, you now kind of can like draw the dots back to how it's all kind of formed. What I think is most kind of interesting, a lot of the people who are listening are in the really early days of building a business. And people just want to know, like, how did you actually create this thing? Like from an idea, how did you go out there and create your first products and turn this idea into something tangible that you could actually then go out there and sell? What were those first steps? Yeah, for sure. I think my biggest piece of advice when I speak to young business owners that are kind of starting out is that you just have to be super resourceful. You know, it's really overwhelming when you're first starting a business. And I feel that you have this grand idea and what you want it to be and figuring out where to start is just really overwhelming. So it did take me quite some time to launch, but I feel I probably spent about a year, maybe a year and a half really doing my research on not only the market, the gaps in the market, you know, the competitors, et cetera, and then also trying to obviously find a manufacturer. My background is more in kind of the communications business side of fashion. Um, I'm not, you know, a traditionally trained designer or, um, you know, um, seamstress. So for me, I was looking for a manufacturer that I could partner with that had the experience in the sleepwear space. And that could work with me if I was kind of like, this is what I'm looking for. Or, you know, I could show them pictures or references or I could explain to them, you know, the type of cut I wanted, et cetera, and they would just fully get it. So that was probably the longest period of time is finding that right manufacturer. I know that, you know, a lot of people when they're finding manufacturers find that people want crazy minimums and everything else. So I got really good at kind of going out and asking my key core value questions immediately. So for me, they were, you know, what are your minimums? Do you hold a BSCI certificate, which is your basically that you are socially sustainable and that you um, have like fair trade for your workers? Do you have experience working with high grade, let's say silk, which is the um, grade we use for our sleepwear, which is the highest on the market? And basically, yeah, just really trying to find someone that fit into this immediately rather than me trying to fit into what they were offering was super important. So from there, I literally think I had like three credit cards and I um, manufactured my first range of sample. And from there, I went out, I think I paid a model, you know, $200 cash and a photographer to shoot my pieces and did a really soft launch on Shopify. I had built up a little Instagram page at the time. This was a few years ago now where I feel Instagram was the key social media platform. So for me, what that looked like was during this whole process of, you know, the 18 months where I was figuring out all of the fit and the form and my manufacturer and this and that, I was posting those kind of inspirational pictures, that content, building this image and this brand that even though I didn't have any pieces yet, you would go onto the page and you would immediately understand and kind of figure out if you would relate to that type of customer or that type of, I guess, vibe. So when I did launch, I already had a small kind of curation of, say, 2,000 followers. And at least then I had a little bit of momentum and it kind of all went from there. Let's go back to the manufacturing process. And you mentioned like a few of the key things that you were kind of like vetting when you were finding manufacturers. 
Are you still working with the first manufacturer that you started with or as a business has grown, have you had to completely like change that? I've changed a few times. Um, I have one that I'm working with that's been on almost since the beginning, but not since the very beginning. But it's always a learning process, I feel. And really, it's just finding as you go along, you have different requirements. For me, that might have looked like being able to also do the packaging at the same time as the pieces or being able to um, understand like logistically how to pack things for retailers. So as the business evolved, my needs changed. But we still very much work with one in particular that is um, from the early days. I think that's just like an interesting thing to point out because I do think that a lot of folks who are like in my DMs and who I'm chatting with and they're trying to find the right suppliers for their business. And it's almost like they're trying to find the suppliers for the business that they want to have in five years, but you can change that and evolve that as the business grows. And you don't know what your needs are going to be in two years or five years. You kind of just need to find like the next best thing to get you to launch. Oh my goodness, a hundred percent. And I've actually had this conversation as well with other founders, you know, of course, we all have this idea of where we want our businesses to be, whether that's visually, whether that's social, whether that's campaign imagery, whether that's manufacturer, but you have to start somewhere. And if you don't start, then you're not going to be able to evolve to the next step. And um, I feel that sometimes people try and relate themselves too much to the big players when you really just need to focus on what you're doing and what you're able to do and build slowly from there, which also is really great, I guess experience and market validation at the same time you know working with your customers and figuring out what their wants and needs are figuring out for you what works what doesn't work because if you go all in and this is only from my experience you know um, really bootstrapping the business if you go all in and you have no experience previously in the manufacturing space you can make a lot of expensive mistakes So you mentioned before, like getting your first kind of customers through building that small little Instagram following. And that's kind of how you had a soft launch in the beginning. Now you're a brand that has like a pretty big wholesaling business. You're stocked kind of all over the world, right? You're in the US, you're in, are you in the UK and Europe now as well? Globally, um, we're in ShopWop in the US. Uh, We're launching into Goop in April. We're launching into David Jones. We're in the Middle East. Um, Yeah, so we're, we're quite global. And I know that you have a partner who you work with those kind of stockists and that side of the business, but I'm really interested to know at what point you were, I guess, big enough to kind of get your first major stockist overseas and overseas being the US or the UK and how that all came about. So I do have a partner that I work with from a wholesale perspective, but for me, when I met with them, I was still very much a very small fish. Doing that market research at the beginning allowed me to... uh, curate information on the sleepwear space and sitting down with my wholesale agency who is the partner that I work with they're obviously very sales focused that's how they make their money and although they were kind of not really sure on the brand we had mutual connections and so they took the meeting and once they actually were able to see and feel the product and touch the actual materials they were quite impressed from there I was able to say look Although, you know, my brand is in its infancy, sleepwear is one of the fastest growing categories in the fashion space and you don't currently have a sleepwear brand that you work with and was able to, I guess, sell it in a way that was like, this is a really great opportunity for you guys to make money as well. So from there, they took my brand to New York to a showings. It wasn't a done deal yet. 
I had to pay a fee for them to do that. And they were basically just testing with their buyers. And the same thing happened. I think that um, getting it in front of these buyers was key. You know, the imagery is still not the strongest comparatively to other brands. It's definitely, you know, come such a long way and we're a lot better, I guess, now than we were at the beginning. But, um, you know, kind of bootstrapping, we were working within our means and being able to take it in front of buyers and for them to be able to tangibly, tangibly look and feel the product, they were all very much drawn to the materials and the qualities and they, I guess, appreciated that about it. So they came back and agreed to sign me. We launched first into the Iconic in Australia, which is, um, you know, our largest online retailer here. And um, funny you mentioned, you know, obviously I dress yourself and your bridesmaids for your wedding. I feel that you were probably one of the first people I reached out to with kind of small amounts of influence and gifting. And then your wedding being featured on Vogue, um, I was able to be like, you know, we're a brand that's been featured on Vogue kind of a thing. Now, although we hadn't had our own feature and we hadn't had, you know, that incredible print press or, you know, yeah, own online feature, we were able to start building a little bit of credibility saying, you know, we've been in Vogue, we've been in Marie Claire, um, we're on the Iconic. And building that, I guess, credibility with other retailers, with media outlets, building our socials is all part of the touch points of gaining great wholesale partners. They don't want to see just really good product or just a really good following. You kind of have to be able to have all of those ducks in a row. That's definitely something that I hear time and time again from brands who are playing in the wholesale space. Like it's one thing if you are really focused on e-com and you can build your, you know, on TikTok and you can do like that side of things, which I think is like super important as well. But if you want to have a robust wholesaling side of your business, then building that credibility early on. And there are so many different ways that you can do that. Like you can do that through press, you can do that through brand partnerships, you can do that through building, even just like through your visuals, like you can also imbue the brand with a sense of credibility as well from the beginning. If you kind of like have a bit of budget or you have the background to be able to do that yourself, but just like really focusing on that, I think that that goes such a long way for other brands to think, okay, yeah, like we could bring this small new business on board. It makes you look bigger than you are. A hundred percent. And the thing is, you have to really think from a business perspective, you know, of course you have such a love and passion for your business because it's your baby. You know, you want to talk to all the amazing qualities about it and about the product, but these retailers, they're also then going to try and on-sell your product. And so for them, it's about, you know, yes, you might be a really beautiful brand. You might have really stylish pieces or, you know, you might really be solving a pain problem. But if you don't have any, I guess, news or, you know, you're starting to build momentum from a communications perspective, whether that be, as you said, on social, on press, brand collabs or other retailers and kind of starting to get a bit of validity from that perspective, you know, you're really going to struggle being able to then convince them to do it because it's going to be more work for the retailers to then also build your brand and build awareness about your brand to on-sell that product. We've spoken a bit, you know, we DM a lot about your business and what you're building and about just like the world of entrepreneurship in general. And we've spoken a little bit about press as well. And I'm just like interested in, I guess, like how, you know, you had those first early kind of hits early on, but press has kind of been, I think, a a significant part of your strategies. You've been building the business. And I want to know if like what learnings you have through that process. Have you been working with an agency Have you been doing that yourself as the founder? Like, what have you learned and what can you share? 
Yeah, for sure. So my background is public relations. Um, I worked in a communications agency. And then when I was in-house for brands, I was working in public relations. So I was lucky in the sense that I had spent the time, I guess, kind of establishing some key connections in the space. But I think some key learnings that anyone can take away that's wanting to build press is that it's really not, I don't want to say it's really not as hard as you think, but it also, again, comes down to being resourceful. You know, like, so for example, you think it's this untouchable idea to be able to get your brand in a certain title, whether it's Vogue or Elle or Harper's, et cetera, or whatever works for your brand. Maybe you're in um, more travel or fast-moving consumer goods. So I think the first thing is, yes, understanding where your brand is um, appropriately going to be placed and therefore who to pitch to, you know, what other brands are they featuring, what other articles are they writing about, is that something that would fit in with what the journalist has previously written about? You know, there's no point pitching your children's toy brand to a fashion editor. I know that sounds silly, but you'd be surprised how often that type of thing happens. Then I think finding the appropriate person. And again, this comes down to you can go on Vogue.com and see who the writers are of the articles. There's usually the journalist underneath each article. Finding it honestly is like such a process, but you just, just have to get your investigator hat on. And then finding, you know, that person, whether it's on socials, on LinkedIn, getting their email and just reaching out to them and saying, hey, I really loved your article on XYZ, not just a cold pitch. You know, you want to make sure you're being personable and that you're adding value to, you know, explaining that you've actually taken the time to read, you know, an article that they've written. Hey, I really loved your piece on XYZ. I also have a brand that would be really fitting for any other pieces that are similar or that you might have coming up. A little pitch about what your brand is or what you're looking to do. And then popping your links down below of your socials, your website, et cetera. And honestly, leave it at that. You know, you don't want to give them a whole page, a whole essay on what you're doing. You want it to be short, sharp and shiny, but personable and really try and add value to what the journalist is doing. Again, thinking from a business perspective, a lot of these journalists are you know, especially if they're online, they're potentially writing four or five articles a day, although they really might appreciate your product. You want to make sure that you provide them with the exact information they need. You want to make sure that it's relevant to them and you want to make it as easy for them as possible to be able to just copy and paste what you've provided them, change it up a bit, put in the links, put in the pictures, you know, give them all that information up front and you'll have so much better success rate. A few follow-ups doesn't help. And then if you haven't heard from them, leave it at that and try again in a month or so with a different approach, maybe a different story, a different topic. And if all else fails, gifting. Gifting is a really great way to get anyone interested in your brand because they really get to experience it firsthand. I'm a big believer in gifting. We have never done any paid marketing, any paid influencer work, any paid press because we've just been able to connect with people that really have an appreciation for the brand and just a, a genuine personal love and affinity with the products. So being able to, I guess, kind of gauge their interest and if they are kind of like, wow, this is so beautiful, if it's known in DMs or what have you, you know, offering them a piece to experience is a really great way to at least, I guess, strengthen those connections and start those conversations. Yeah, I agree with absolutely everything you've just said. I think, I guess the early part of your career working in PR and I spent the early part of my career working as an editor and a writer. So I was receiving a lot of those pitches 
before I then started pitching out my own brand. Something else that I would actually add is, so if you have like a beauty product or some kind of like consumer packaged good, make sure you've got images on a white background. So it's really easy for them just like upload it and insert it. It looks good in like the carousel that they're probably uploading online of products in a roundup. Find out if they're doing, so for example, like Allure every month does a best of new beauty products kind of roundup. Pretty much every site has those tentpole stories that they're returning to every month. And it's the same couple of writers or the same couple of editors who are doing it. So you can just make sure you're getting in there in time. It's relevant to whatever those roundups are. And it's just such a good way for them to like, first of all, know about your product and be able to link it to something that's relevant. And then you can kind of maybe try and pitch a more detailed story just about you and your business later on. But that's such a good like entry point to get in those like roundups that everyone is doing now because they're just creating so much content. A hundred percent. Just make it personable, relevant and easy. And I would probably say in all honesty, that is the approach that I've taken to most elements of the business. You know, you look at all these things which seem like they are untouchable at the beginning, you know, getting on Metaporter or getting in Vogue or what have you. And it's really about sitting down and whatever your background is and whatever experience you've had, sitting down and figuring out, okay, if I knew nothing or if I do know nothing, what are the steps that I would need to take to be able to make this happen? Trying to make that list as best you can and then figuring out what parts you don't know and how can you seek out that information? So whether it's honestly Google, whether it's reaching out to someone on Instagram or LinkedIn that has that experience that might be willing to give you some advice whether it's looking at podcasts, reading books, honestly, just figuring out what you need to know to and, and what you need to be able to do to get to that next stage and learning how to do it. I want to switch gears and talk about funding now. I know that in the early days, you funded this, like putting things on your credit card, using savings, you were scrappy as hell, which I fully respect. I want to know where things are at now and how you're funding the business now. If you can share any milestones around like revenue or anything, go for it, but I'm not going to push you on that. It's totally up to you about what you're sharing. But I'm just so interested in a business of your size, how you, and when you're doing large wholesale, large volume orders, how you're continuing to kind of fund that and manage the cash flow. Yeah, definitely. I also find this such an interesting point of people's businesses. And I think we should be more open about speaking about money because at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. it's not a hobby. So I think, you know, in the early days, yes, I stayed really scrappy. And that was because I guess I was young. I was trying to figure out what I was doing. But also, I didn't have any luck raising any money. (laughs) I was, I think, 22 at the time living in Australia, which is obviously a little bit more removed from the kind of VC angel space to an extent, especially in fashion. And I did get a whole bunch of meetings. I don't know why these particular people took them. They were, you know, quite big in the fashion space, but they did give me the time of day. And I pitched this idea that basically was the new, you know, kind of direct-to-consumer brand in sleepwear, because that was really the direction I wanted to take the business when I very first started. And It was actually received pretty well. Most of them said the same thing, which is get some traction, you know, kind of validate this in the market and come back. And for me, that was really difficult because I couldn't without any money. So using those credit cards and loans and savings, et cetera, um, to kind of launch something small, I then had to pivot and take a wholesale approach, which now looking back was actually really, really key to the business. 
So launching into wholesale, although that did change, I guess, the strategy and how we looked at the business in terms of margins, et cetera, it did allow us to build that credibility, you know, going out and saying, you know, we're a sleepwear brand, we create really high quality products, really stylish, you know, 6A silk, et cetera, is one thing. But to be able to say, we're a sleepwear brand stocked on Metaporter and Bloomingdale's is another. And it just gives you that immediate guts and, um, yeah, I guess kind of flex really in the space. So uh, that was kind of key for us in the beginning in terms of getting those wholesale accounts, being able to generate a bit of income and then uh, using that each month to or each season to make the imagery slightly better, to make the website slightly better, to make, you know, our product range slightly larger. It did get to a stage, however, where, you know, we had such fantastic goals which we had reached within the business. Um, I think my first year, well, actually, no, my first year I was still working full time. And I think that's also really important. You know, I was, this was very much a side hustle because the more that you can learn on somebody else's dime is so key. You know, Um, I would just come home and work on it basically till midnight every night. I'd work on the weekends. And then eventually did get to a stage where I was able to leave my full-time job. And then uh, fast forward a few years, we got our wholesale accounts. I think the first year we did about 70K. And honestly, I was paying myself barely anything, you know. I was going to ask that. Like, were you paying yourself the whole time or did you start paying yourself when you left your full-time job? Like, when did that happen? I had a little bit of savings and I most definitely didn't start paying myself immediately. And I think that sometimes the entrepreneurial life is really glamorized but we were very much eating home brand tofu and beans and not leaving the house <laughs> for <laughs> a long time because, and this is just for me personally, you know, I uh, decided to put whatever profits and whatever revenue I made back into the business. So uh, fast forward a few years, it got to a stage where we were doing so well from a wholesale perspective that we have, uh, I think last year we did over three quarters of a million dollars. And I was still the only full-time employee. Um, I'd only just switched to a warehouse doing all of our shipping and picking and packing. You know, things were going really well, but it does get to a stage where cash flow starts to become a bit of a problem when you're making these huge orders for retailers and they're not getting paid till you deliver them for some months after. So um, with that, I have actually just secured and raised my first angel round. Congratulations. Thank you. We close in January. Um, And for us, that's just really going to be important to start to build out, you know, I guess, a larger product range for our customers, um, a few more categories, you know, kind of alleviate cash flow and really focus on building our direct-to-consumer side of the business as well. Good for you. I love that story. So you've 10x your revenue since launch or since that first year, since the end of that first launch year. Yeah, I guess. I never thought about it like that, but you're correct. (laughs) This isn't the last question. I've got two more questions for you, but I want to do like a bit of a quick fire round here and jump into the tools and platforms that you're using within the business now. So generally we kind of dig into who you're using for your store. If it's like Shopify, email client, SMS marketing, if you've got any recommendations for like file management or time management tools, like what does that look like in your business right now? Yeah, sure. So like many e-commerce businesses, we use Shopify. Couldn't recommend it enough if you're at the beginning of your journey. Yes, you can do some really beautiful sites with Squarespace. And I have also tried that myself. But the reason I really like Shopify, and obviously this is not sponsored, but is that 
you can integrate so many different apps into the platform so seamlessly from there. You know, whether it is those SMS marketing tools, whether it is your EDMs, whether it is different returns apps or honestly anything you can think of. So I think that's really key depending on what you need for your business. Having Shopify and then browsing that app store and trying new things is always really fun. Um, we use Zero for accounting, Dex to record all of our receipts. It's honestly so easy. I'm not a finance gal, although I do keep across the numbers. I really just snap a picture of my receipts and upload them to Dex, and that's done. My bookkeeper then is able to put everything through Zero. We use Planoly for social, Clevio for EDMs. I feel a lot of these, a lot of your guests do kind of already cover. Some other ones I'm not sure if I've heard before are just online platforms for smallpdf.com for online signing because honestly I don't even have one now I do not have a printer and <laughs> I feel like it's a really so, millennial thing not to have a printer <laughs> honestly because you just you never really need to use it until you start to have your own business and you're signing a lot of paperwork and filling out a lot of paperwork so using smallpdf.com you can um, sign everything digitally and save it as a pdf it's so easy DocuSend for sending documents I love because you might actually be DocSend.com but look into it google it because what I love about it is you can upload you know your presentations send it to someone and then when they open it you get notifications in real time which I find really interesting you get to see how much time they spend on particular pages which is really great information in terms of what you know especially for example if you're pitching to investors what Mm -hmm. they're finding really interesting in your business um pitch and what they're kind of going yeah yeah okay I'm skipping through it also helps you kind of make sure that the people you want to be looking at that document are the people who are looking at it and it's not kind of getting forwarded around to every old person so it's another really good reason to use it yeah a hundred percent and I really um you just get such a kick out of it. You know, I know everyone can relate to that little Shopify like cha-ching sound when you make a sale. <laughs> but there's also something really, I guess, exciting about when you get a notification and it's like your document has been opened by so-and-so or your document has been opened in Germany or something. And, you know, being able to see in real time what they're enjoying reading about them is really interesting. And then the last thing I, I kind of ask everyone who comes onto the show is just for a resource and that could be a book that you've read. It could be someone that you followed, something that you recommend other early stage founders kind of engage with that's helped you as you've been building your business. Yeah, definitely. I thought a lot about this question and how I was going to answer it because like many entrepreneurs, you know, I'm a self-help book addict. I listen to a lot of podcasts like your podcast and many other kind of, whether it's female founders or, you know, kind of business or fashion style podcasts. But I think what is key is figuring out what works for you. So sometimes when entrepreneurs start or business owners start, you know, I might recommend a book. But if you're not a reader, that's going to be something else that's going to go in your to-do list. Totally. (laughs) And you're going to feel even more guilt about not reading it and not doing something else that you're supposed to be doing as a business owner. So whether it's that you learn really kinesthetically, you know, through doing, whether you learn through listening, whether you learn through reading, figuring that out and then seeking information from there is really going to help you 10x your business journey. Because if you know that you learn through doing, the best thing you can be doing is working in the industry or, you know, you have a mentor that you meet with that you can kind of go through actual figures or ideas, et cetera. Or if you learn best through, you know, listening like to podcasts and you can be listening and taking notes um, on your commute or what have you, 
Um, just figuring out what works best for you. And then resources are almost unlimited. We are in mm-hmm. such a fantastic time to be an entrepreneur. The internet is obviously an incredible resource, whether it's Google, whether it's blogs, whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's socials, whether it's podcasts, whether it's even going down to your local library, whatever works for you, there is so much resources available. It's just about figuring out which one you're going to be able to ingest best. Liv, thank you so much for coming on the show and for telling us all about your business and how you've been moving things forward. It has been great to chat with you. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, did you guys love that? If you did, please drop us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you take a screenshot of that review and DM it to us on Instagram, we will send you back a link with free access to our entire on-demand library of business skills workshops. So don't sleep on that. Get on it. Take that screenshot and DM it over to us. Chat to you later.